0: going to look at the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Let's begin with Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28. It says, then when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying go into the village opposite you whereas you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat loose it and bring it here and if anyone asks you why are you loosing it thus you shall say to him because the lord has need of it so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt. And they set Jesus on him, and as he went many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent, Of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now, we're going to stop there for for now, but this is the triumphal entry. And we, we've heard this portion of scripture before. And, and to dive back into the significance of what is happening in this account. Remember, last week we talked about the parable of the meanest and how Jesus wanted us to be about God's business, and he had given people these talents, uh, these gifts, so to speak, and that we were to use them for him and for his kingdom, and that there would be that eternal reward, and what he's doing is he's preparing his disciples, he's preparing the people for the time that he's going to leave. And now as they're going up to Jerusalem, it says in verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And you've heard me say this before, but when you go to Jerusalem, it's very unique that Jerusalem, it sits elevated. So from whichever direction, north, south, east, or west, that you are going to Jerusalem, you are going up to Jerusalem. And oftentimes, as Jesus would Travel there walking with his disciples. They would sing the Psalms and these hymns as they're going up to Jerusalem. And what's really unique about Israel is they have all types of landscapes. You'll be in one moment, you'll be in the desert. And then in the next, you'll be in these beautiful green hills. And then you go from the Dead Sea, which is actually at the very lowest part of the earth. The Dead Sea is 1,388 feet below sea level. It's very dry there and hot. And then you can climb up the road and continue on not far away to the Mount of Olives, which is at 2,710 feet above sea level. So that's quite the incline that you're traveling when you go through that. And what's unique is that everything in Israel, they, they make it sound a lot bigger than what it really is. So like the Mount of Olives is like, really like Walnut, Hill, like Pomona Hills <laughs> or Chino Hills. Like the Mount of Olives isn't really like this huge mountain. It's, it's hills. The, the Mediterranean Sea, it's kind of like just this really big lake. Or, or the, the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's not really like this giant like ocean sea. It's, it's a lake. So they call everything like really big, much, much bigger than what it really is out there. And pray for me, me and Lisa. Lord willing, we're going to be getting to, to visit that at the beginning of, of April. So keep us in prayer because I might have to get the vaccine. I don't know. We're going to find out. Keep me in prayer. I'll steal someone's fake card or something. I don't, I don't know. not know. keep me praying. Lord, forgive me if that's, that's wrong. I don't know. We're going to find out. But I'm putting myself on blast. See, I'm keeping myself accountable. But what this is now, as Jesus is entering Jerusalem, this is what we know as Palm Sunday. A little warm in here for you guys? Just a little bit? It's on fire. Hold on. I'm a little warm. I know. There you go, Howard. I saw it. I saw his, the sweat beating down his face. <laughs> so keep in mind what what is very unique, and maybe you guys didn't know this, but that when Jesus went to Jerusalem that day, this was actually prophecy being fulfilled from the Old Testament. There's a very special and unique prophecy known as the 70 weeks prophecy found in Daniel chapter 9, which refers to the Messiah coming into Jerusalem. In Daniel chapter 9, verses 25 through 26, it says, Now listen and understand. Seven sets of seven plus 62 sets of seven will pass from the time that the command is given To rebuild Jerusalem until a ruler, the anointed one, comes. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with streets and strong defenses despite the perilous times. Okay, stop right here for a moment because you're like, what is he talking about? Okay, so back in the book of Daniel. Daniel is writing a prophecy concerning a king that lived in Daniel's time. Now, this is way before Jesus' time. And he's talking about King Artaxerxes. And he's saying from the time that King Artaxerxes gives the command to rebuild Jerusalem, there's going to be seven sets of seven years. And then after that, there's going to be 62 sets of seven years. And all of that, when, when you add it up, it comes out to 490 years, okay? So then... Seven years before that 490 years is fulfilled, something very special happened. So we know that on March 14th, 445 BC, Artaxerxes gave, gave the command to rebuild Jerusalem. And then in, on April 6th, 32 AD, 300 and, what's 490 minus 7? 7. 300, <laughs> 343, 490 minus seven is 483. Okay, so on 483 years later to the date, 483 years later to the date, Jesus walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, to the date. You're like, oh, what? Okay, but there's still, that's not 490 years, right? It says on verse 26, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. So that's referring to Jesus dying on the cross. So now, where's the other seven years of that 490 years, you're asking? Because that was a while back since Jesus, that was like 2,000 years ago since Jesus died. Well, the last seven years that still need to be fulfilled are the seven years of tribulation. <laughs> so what's unique, though, is to the day that Jesus walked into Jerusalem that Sunday morning, it was prophesied about. Another prophecy concerning this very day is Zechariah nine. 9. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Zechariah, Daniel, all these men were prophesying about Jesus coming to Jerusalem long before Jesus ever came. And what's super unique is that in Israel today, they found The Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. They opened these scrolls up. They see these prophecies concerning the Messiah. Now in these scrolls, these are the, the oldest manuscripts that we have of the Old Testament years before Jesus came to this world. And they're all talking about Jesus coming to this world. And everything's pointed to Jesus. Continuing on in verse 29. And it came to pass when he drew near Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called it, that he sent two of his disciples. So I, I, I notice he sends two now. And I wrote, two are better than one. And we know this because of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, we're encouraged about The value of friendship. The value of companionship. In Ecclesiastes 4, it says two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. For he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Oh, I love this. this is, there's truth in this. See, sometimes we try to be lone rangers in our life. And we're just like thinking that we could take on the world without any help or, or, or without the church and without brothers and sisters in our life. But we need people in our life. We need accountability, and we need to be encouraged and lifted up. If you want to go fast somewhere, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. See, don't forsake the body. We were talking about this on Wednesday night, how right now the people got used to watching... The church online which that has its place but if they allow the couch to become their pew and they just watch it from online and they're not having that fellowship with the body then that's like our hand saying well i'm just gonna go do my own thing over here and and leave the rest of the body to be by itself but no our hand in order to function it needs the body So we need the body of Christ in our life. So let's not forsake the gathering of the brethren. We're exhorted in that. In verse 30, Jesus continues saying, go into the village opposite you. Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So he's telling them, look, okay, you're going to go now as we're journeying to Jerusalem. I want you to go back to the village opposite, probably the way we came from. And I want you to go find this colt, which is a young donkey. And I want you to loose it. Now, imagine if I told you guys, look, I want you, Howard, Go down the street to the uh, car dealership. And I want you to get in one of the new uh, Corollas, 2022, okay? And just bring it back over here. And if anybody stops you, just tell them the Lord has need of it. <laughs> right? That'd be kind of like, whoa, Wait, what do you mean? No, 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 no. The, the, because the, the, you don't own it. You're, I'm just going to go over there and say the Lord has need of it. So then these disciples, if they're going to listen to what Jesus is saying, telling them to do they have to take a step of faith they have to be obedient and, and you've heard me say before delayed obedience is disobedience so they have to go immediately and have faith that they're first of all there's gonna be a donkey in the city that they go to so they go over there and a donkey by the way if this is what's gonna be used by jesus to ride into Jerusalem. It's not the choice animal of a conqueror, but this is the animal of humility. Just the same way that Jesus came into this world born in a manger. There was no room for him in the inns, so he had to be born in the most humble of places. He wasn't born into some royal palace with a big royal family, but he was born in a stable. And that's how we see the glory of God come into this world and it's so backwards to what we're thinking is power and glory, humility, meekness. Sometimes I, I think as men we get the wrong idea that, that masculinity is muscles and beards. But masculinity, when we look at Jesus, man, meekness. That, that is strength and control. So you think of a pit bull and how big and, and fierce a pit bull can be. And if that pit bull is trained, if a little baby goes up to the pit bull's face and starts pulling on its ears and, and pulling on its cheek and the, the pit bull is just, mm, just there, letting the little baby pull on his face every which way. Man, that, that pit bull is out actually showing meekness. He's just letting the little annoying baby just play with him because he knows he can't touch the baby. Otherwise, he's going to be in trouble. And that's what meekness is. It's power and control. So you, you men and women, you guys have power. You have ability and skills. But submit it to the Lord. So these disciples... They go out in faith, looking for that donkey. And it's a step of obedience, but they were able to go because it was Jesus who was making the command. In verse 32, So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. So look, Jesus gave his disciples the word that, of what was going to happen, and they went out in faith, and it was fulfilled. So when Christ says something to you guys, something's gonna happen. He gives you a promise, a promise through his word. It's gonna happen. And if that thing doesn't come to pass, then maybe it wasn't God who was speaking. Sometimes we, we in a moment of, of emotion we, and, and, and excitement, we feel like, okay, this was God who spoke to me uh, about X, Y, and Z. And uh, like, I heard God speak, and th- He said that this and this was going to happen. And then you go out there and it doesn't happen. And you're like, but God, like, I thought we had this thing going on. Like, you were telling me, like, this was going to happen. And then it didn't happen. It didn't come to pass. Like, I thought we were on the same page, God. Like, I thought you were on my boat. I thought you were on my side. No, we need to be discerning of the voice of God in our life. Because sometimes God speaks to us through that still small voice. Remember the story of Jesus when he was asleep during a storm in a boat? There's this account in Jesus' life where they go out and Jesus tells his disciples, he says, look, we're gonna get into this boat and we're gonna cross over to the other side of the sea, the lake. And so they, they get in and Jesus is tired, so he's like, I'm going to take a nap. Let the disciples row, and the disciples are rowing through the sea now. And all of a sudden, this wind picks up, and this huge storm just surrounds them and their, their boat. And it's tossing the boat to and fro. And the disciples are starting to get freaked out. They're like, Oh my gosh, what's happening? We're going to drown. We're going to die. And they're like, Wake Jesus up. Wake Jesus up because we're, we're going to die. And they start shaking Jesus, and they're like, Jesus, don't you care? We're going to die. And Jesus is like, he gets up and he stands up and shakes himself off maybe and looks at the wind and the waves and he says, I rebuke. And immediately the wind and the waves get rebuked. They're calm. The storm stops. And then the disciples are are fearful at this moment. They're like, oh my gosh, who is this man who even the wind and the waves obey him? And he looks at them and he's like, why were you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. Remember, Jesus told them, we're going to go to the other side. We're going to get in the boat, and we're going to go to the other side of this sea. But because the wind and the waves were there, they, they, they felt like we're not going to make it now. We're going to die here. Yeah, Jesus said we're going to get to the other side, but does Jesus see the storm that we're in right now? Does he know? Does he understand? All the trials that could pile on us, See, if Jesus gave you a promise, you hold on to that. You stand on it. I actually, I like this phrase that we don't hold on to the promises of God because that's our strength, but we stand on his promises. And we can stand on his promises. Promises that he loves you, that he has a plan for your life. That there's no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 33, But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. See, this past Friday, the men, we were encouraged on being bold, even when our logical minds can't comprehend what God is doing. So, exactly the way that Jesus said it was going to happen. They're, they see the colt, they're there, they're loosing the colt, and then they, the guy, the owner, sees them, and he says, hey, what are you guys doing? He says, we're, we're loosing the colt. The Lord has need of it. And when you look at the way the, that the disciples were called in Jesus' life, the obedience that these men had to Jesus, you could say that some of their actions were illogical. didn't make sense because they left behind careers and families to go follow Jesus. And for them, like Peter leaving his fishing nets behind, Matthew leaving his tax collecting behind, it's not a quest for religion in their life. It's not a quest for knowledge or success. But the only reason that these men left everything behind to go follow Jesus is because it was Jesus. It was Jesus who was calling them. Jesus, the God-man, the Savior. Only Jesus can call someone like that. In verse 35, then they brought him to Jesus and they threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. So the miracle right there, just, okay, we're gonna take this donkey and now and Jesus is coming to this world to Jerusalem as a humble servant to save sinners. He's going to ride on this donkey and they they put a, a their clothes on the donkey so, a, a, as almost a sign of look look my shirt who I am it's of less value than you. Let me just honor you. Let me put this shirt on. When Jesus first rode into Jerusalem, he came as that humble servant, but he's going to come back. And when he comes back to this world, when he comes back to Jerusalem, he's not going to come as a humble servant. Turn to Revelation chapter 19 this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus is going to return when he does return. We know that there is going to be that, that rapture where Jesus is going to meet us in the clouds and take us into heaven, into eternity with him. But that's not his second coming. That's the rapture. That's him meeting us in the clouds, taking the church from the great tribulation. But then at that en- the end of that seven-year period, at the end of those seven years, Jesus is going to return. And let's read how the Bible describes his return is going to be. Revelation chapter 19, verses 11. It says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, And his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. That's us right there. Now out of his mouth goes a a sharp sword. That with it he should strike the nations and he himself will rule them all with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of King and Lord of Lords. So is this the same Jesus that we see here in uh, Luke's gospel, it's a little bit different, right? <laughs> At least the picture. Same Jesus, different type of entry. Very different. That same Jesus is going to come back geared up, ready to battle. The battle of Armageddon. It says that he, the first thing he's going to do is he's going to land on the Mount of Olives, put his foot on it, and then the moment he puts his foot on it, it's going to split the Mount of Olives, causing actually water to flow from it. And then he's going to go fight in the battle of Armageddon where all these enemies of God are going to be lined up to try to fight Israel, really. They're going to go fight. And then Jesus and his conquerors with him are going to come in and just devastate the oncoming invasion. So much so that it says that the blood is going to be six feet up to the horse's bridle That's between five and six feet. That much blood is going to be filling the valley of Megiddo. And when you look out and you see the valley of Megiddo, it's like you're looking at the valley that we have out here. It's this huge valley. It's beautiful. There's going to be all these soldiers that are just going to get vaporized, and the blood is just going to fill it. That's how Jesus is coming back. Whose side do I want to be on? (laughs) On Jesus' side, right? Right? Because I want to be there, just murking people alongside Jesus. (laughs) God have mercy. Do you guys know what's going on right now between the U.S., the U.K., the Ukraine? Are you guys staying in touch with World News lately? So just within the last few days, the United States and Britain, the United Kingdom, pulled their troops out of the Ukraine. Why? Because Russia, who is Rosh in the Bible, looks like they're invading the Ukraine. And people are backing down. Which is sad to say that America right now is kind of showing that we're a little weak right now when it comes to Russia. And we're pulling out. We're not helping them. We're not helping the Ukraine. We're pulling our troops out. We were there, now we're not. And Putin is making his moves. And we talked about this last Sunday how Rosh and the other nations in the Bible in Ezekiel chapter 38 they're going to be coming against Israel and Sheba and Dedan are going to step out and say hey who are you guys trying to invade? What are you guys trying to do right now? Which Sheba and Dedan are Saudi Arabia and right now Saudi Arabia and Israel are becoming to be good friends. So Do I think that Jesus is coming soon? Absolutely. Are we ready for that? Is our hearts and minds prepared to meet with the Lord in the clouds? Are we sharing that good gospel message to people in our life that need to be saved? It is convicting. So what do we do then with that? You do what God has called you to do. Don't worry. You don't, I'm not telling you guys to quit your job, or go to Africa to, to, or, or go to China. and I'm telling you, you do what God has called you to do to the best of your ability, giving him glory, giving him honor. Because look, if, if I'm not made to be a, a Ryan Reese doing evangelism, going to high schools, then I'd be foolish to try to become that but when I just allow God to flow through what he's created me to be, then there's power there. So we see that Jesus, when he does come, he's gonna come as that conqueror. He is a triumphant. And then in verse 36, as he's now entering into Jerusalem, it says, and as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. So they're honoring this coming Messiah. They're putting their their clothes on the floor as Jesus is put above themselves. Because remember, the Jews, they've been waiting for their Savior to come. And for years, they've felt like they were under captivity to other nations. They would go be taken away out of their homeland, and then the Lord would bring them back, humbled. And then now, the Roman captivity, the Romans are overseeing their every move. And so now as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem and they've heard the stories about Jesus, they're thinking, okay, this is it. This is gonna be now the age where we break free from our bonds, from our chains. And what they didn't realize was before God had set them free from the nations, God wanted to set them free from hell. God wanted to set them free from sin and the grave before anything else because God is more interested in the eternal perspective than the temporary one. And so often we approach Christ, we approach Jesus, asking him to remove these earthly burdens in our life. Please just take away this financial bind, God. Just take away uh, these problems in this relationship. Take away this health issue, which are all important issues in our life. But God desires to take care of the things which are eternal first in our life. So that's why we need to ask God for the eternal perspective. In verse 37, then as he was now drawing near the descent of Mount of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So now all these people, all these crowds are coming as they see Jesus approaching and, and they're starting to shout and sing praises to Jesus, laying their clothes on the floor. It's gonna talk about the palm trees that they would wave saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in, an, in another gospel. And it's amazing that this is all happening because of a chain of events that actually occurred in Jesus's life, which led up to this moment. One of the biggest accounts that led to this moment, which was why so many people are here, why the multitudes are praising Jesus, is a miracle that happened that Jesus performed. Jesus made a man rise from the dead, and that man's name was Lazarus. That had not been done in their nation like that. They were seeing things that nobody had ever seen before. They were watching a man do what no man can do. And so Lazarus, who was Jesus' good friend, brother to Mary and Martha, he becomes sick. Sick to the point of death. So that Mary and Martha, they send servants to go find Jesus, to tell Jesus, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. Please come. Because he's deathly sick. And when Jesus hears about this, he waits. He doesn't do anything right away continues doing the ministry that he's doing wherever he's at. And he doesn't go to Lazarus right away. And then after a few days, finally he says, okay, disciples, it's time to go to Lazarus. And Lazarus died in that time. And when Jesus finally shows up to the city that, where Lazarus is, the first person to run out to meet him is Martha the one who was busy doing the work, the one who seemed like she she was trying to stay on top of everything, she runs out to Jesus, Martha, and she said, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother would not have died. And she tells Jesus, but I know that whatever you ask, God's gonna give you. And Jesus tells her, look, your brother will rise again. And Martha says to Jesus, I know he's gonna rise again at the resurrection, at the last day. And Jesus responds to Martha. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha would reply to him. She would say, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, Jesus, first and foremost, was heartbroken. He was heartbroken that Martha didn't have the, the spiritual realization to see that it was the son of God standing in front of her who was able to do all things And then Mary comes up and has a similar conversation with Jesus. She comes running out and says, "Jesus, why weren't you here?" And Jesus sees the pain that Mary is going through, and he weeps. And he weeps most likely because of the, the lack of faith that they had. And then so he, he says, "Take me to Lazarus." So they go to Lazarus's tomb and they tell him, "Hey, it, it's going to smell. He's been dead for four days." he says, roll the stone away. And he says, Lazarus, come out. And then Lazarus walks out, the man who was dead for four days in linen cloth. And he says, untie him. I've heard it said that he had to say, Lazarus, come out, because if he would have just said, come out, then all the bodies would have just started walking out. But he called them by name. And then suddenly now people are seeing this. People know that Lazarus died. He's been dead for four days. They see him resurrect from the dead and they know it was the man, Jesus, who did it. So now the word gets out. Lazarus was dead. Jesus made him come back to life. People start talking it. It's more popular than TMZ. Everyone's just raving about it. Nowadays, you hear it called, it's going viral on Instagram, on Facebook. It's the Island Boys or something. It's blowing up, right? Jesus was becoming popular where everyone was talking about him and they were saying look this man jesus is able to bring death to life and now the word starts going out so that way this all set up this huge popularity was building up so that when people heard jesus is coming into jerusalem they said get your palm trees Get your best clothes because we're going to throw it out on the floor before this Messiah walks into Jerusalem. Maybe we'll be able to touch him. Maybe we'll be able to just to see him. Now all these people are coming. This is all God's sovereign plan. And this is what's tragic about all this. This frenzy of all these people so excited to see Jesus coming into Jerusalem is that these same crowds and multitudes of people who are worshiping him, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, these same people in less than a week are gonna be shouting out, crucify him. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas, give us the murderer instead. We don't want Jesus. Take Jesus, put him on the cross for all we care. May his blood be upon us. Same people. Because people are fickle. One moment, if you like a guy, you're going to be rooting for him on the Rams, but then if, if he fumbles, you're going to be like, oh, that guy sucks, he's terrible. And that's how humans are. See, if we would live this way of just having that worship, that peace, recognizing that Jesus is king of peace. You guys know the, the word Peace. Jesus is king of it. The word peace in the Hebrew, it's shalom. And it's a common greeting, shalom, in Israel. And what it means is everything is as it should be. Everything is as it should be. And that's what there, there was in the beginning of the garden when Jesus had a relationship with man, with Adam and Eve before sin. Shalom. Everything is as it should be but then sin came into the world. It separated our relationship between God the Father and us. But Jesus, being king of peace, is bringing back the shalom to us. He's bringing back that peace. And we know from other portions of scripture they would call out to him, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. In verse 39... And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. See, this is who the problem is right here now. The religious leaders of their time. And that's what happens when, when the traditions of men and when the structure of a religion gets in between God and man. It's, it's a bad deal. Because the Pharisees wanted people to praise them and look at them. And when Jesus came in on the scene and said, look, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Pharisees were like, wait a second. This guy is saying that people should pay attention to him and that people can get to God through him. And now the Pharisees are losing their influence, their power. And they're also scared that it sounds like Jesus is saying he's king. Well, the Romans don't like any other king but Caesar. So the hammer of Rome is going to come down on us. In verse 40, but he answered and said to them, said to the Pharisees, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. And what what I'm encouraging right here is what Jesus is exhorting us in is, look, let nothing stop us from worshiping Jesus. Let nothing stop us from worshiping our Lord. It's like, ah, I can't go to church today. I've got a a tummy ache. Look, uh, don't go to church because we're we're thinking that that, that it's going to be some sort of means of success. Go to church because you're going to meet with Jesus, the Lord, your God. And as as Jesus is telling these Pharisees, look, if these guys remain silent, if these Israelites remain silent, the rocks are going to cry out. That's creation. Creation itself, it does scream that there is a God. When we look at the nature of our universe, it cries out that there's a God. The heavens declare his praise. And there's also kind of an illustration here of of when the Israeli people end up denying Jesus as a a nation, God then began to look at the Gentiles and we're the ones who praise them. Yeah, there's Jews who are saved, but the Holy Spirit began to work mightily within the Gentiles, which is who we are. In verse 41, now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. So, this is the compassion that Jesus had. He's weeping the way that a mother weeps over her lost child. And I recognize that God loves us so much, He wants what's best for us. When God is taking us on a path and we're scared to go on it or we don't want to go on it for whatever stubborn reason that we have, we have to remember that Jesus has compassion for us, He wants what's best for us. In verse 42 saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And we know that they expected that peace to come through a national revolution. But Jesus came with a spiritual one. And this is what we need in our life. We're going to stop here for today, but this is what we need in our life. We, we want to see change in our life. We do. And I know that you guys want to see change in your life because you're here. But the things that we often focus on, on having changed in our life, are often only the aftermath of the inward change that God wants to do in us first. See, God is looking at our hearts and he wants us to be honest with him. He desires for us to be open for the work that he wants to do. So let's do that. See, we can get hard in our walk and we can want our desires in life. And Paul talked about that that old man that comes back to life. See, when we became a believer, we said, look, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want my own selfish ways to die. And I want to, you to live through me I want to live a new life in Christ and we buried that old man the old Salvador But sometimes that old Salvador comes knocking tries to come out of the grave and 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 then I start to act like him but the Bible tells us to reckon that old man to be dead Realize, look, that we we buried and crucified that old man. That's the whole idea of baptism. We put to death the old ways. Let's not act like that's still part of who we are. We need to bury that to be dead. Stop acting like the sinner that we once were and be who God made you to be, which is a child of God. And know this, that with our struggles and with all the trials that are coming on, that Jesus... He triumphs over it. That we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. See if the Rams, or since the Rams will beat the Bengals today. When when they do that, right now they don't know though for sure. They don't, they're they're kind of maybe we're gonna win, maybe we're not. But so far they've been conquering other teams, and so they're coming into this field. They're gonna be like, yeah, we're conquerors, right? But the Bible says that we as believers are more than conquerors. So a conqueror is someone who's had some wins and seen some battles. But to be more than a conqueror, the reason why we're more than a conqueror is because Jesus already won the battle for us. We're coming in as winners. That's better than the rams. And we could walk with that this week. Let's pray.